Drama City Productions presets. Immersion rig now online. Welcome nerd. Error security update needed. Error. 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 Forcing launch. Now loading episode 93. Welcome to Horror Month. Don't be afraid of me. Featuring horror. Groovy. Featuring horror. I'm gonna die up there. Featuring horror. And when you're down here with me, you float so. Hey, that's Christian. Hey, this is Damon. That's the Amazing Nerd Show. So, Christian, growing up, you know, as a teenager during the Halloween season, were you a hoodlum? Did you do the pranks? Did you do the egging? No. Shaving cream? Now, like, I live in a town where people like to leave their stuff out on the lawn. What would you mean? Like, all their toys, for some reason. They leave bikes, baseball bats on their lawn. So it's just like... Okay. Pick up and go. Oh, so you're a thief. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer would be yes, Christian. <laughs> Was this just during Halloween that you were ste- stealing from your neighbors or? I, I mean, I did trick or treating until I was like 18. So. Well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I still have like a pack of like 18 year olds who come into my house mm-hmm. at like 10 o'clock at night on Halloween. <laughs> and I'm, I have so much candy usually at this point, you know, because I'm out there trick or treating with my daughter. So half the time, I'm not home to actually answer the doors. Mm. And for some reason, we still buy giant bags of candy, even though we can't possibly give it all out. Um, So I'm literally answering the door, just trying to get rid of all this fucking candy. Because if I don't get rid of it, I'm just going to eat it all. Mm. So I've got it. So I'm fine with the fucking, you know, the kid with the hoodie on and a grocery (laughs) bag, you know. Trick or treat. I don't know. That's always annoyed me where I'm like, you're not even dressed up. I'd still get dressed up. I get a costume. I I have the spirits. You should at least have a mask. (laughs) I agree. Um, But yeah, no, I I believe there was only one time that me and my friends actually like went out like looking to, you know, actually like do some damage during Mm -hmm. the Halloween season with like a carton of eggs. It was like me and my buddy, we were probably like in middle school. I just got this like sweet fucking Michael Myers mask from like the local costume shop. Um, And it was, God, it was probably like a $40 mask, which in the 80s was all, I mean, it's still a lot of money, you Mm. know, to pay for a mask, but it was, it was a lot of money in the 80s for a Michael Myers mask. But uh, our dumb asses go out, you know, trick or treating, everything like that, you know, egging the occasional fucking, you know, house. And then all of a sudden fucking karma catches up to me. A group of fucking like teenagers, probably in high school, like come up to us and our dumb asses are like terrified because they're kind of circling us and everything. Uh-huh. And oh my God, this one kid comes up to me. He's like, is, is that you, Tony? You know, and I've got the mask on everything. And I'm so fucking stupid and naive. I lift up the mask. And then sure enough, 
I get shaving cream right in the <laughs> face. It was like instant karma. Like we we both started to run. I think we fired a couple eggs off and maybe hit one person, but we got pelted. It was a massacre, man. A massacre. And that was the last time <laughs> we went out like looking to cause any kind of trouble. We learned our fucking lessons that mm-hmm. day. So but I always get terrified because I'm not home to actually hand out candy that I'm gonna get eggs now. Yes. You know, it has not happened yet, knock on wood. But, you know, I feel like it's going to happen soon. Yeah, luckily, I've lived in, like, apartments my whole life, so I've never had to really uh-huh. worry about that. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. My wife one time actually left a bowl of candy up. And I told her, that bowl's not going to exactly. be here when we get back. <laughs> and sure enough, the bowl was gone. Like, the whole bowl. And she's like, well, I expected the candy to be gone. I didn't expect them to steal the bowl. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you're asking for the bowl to get stolen uh-huh. and for you to get egged at that point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're continuing on with our top horror icon countdown. Yes. It is week three. Yes. We're, um, going, we're on number nine. We're in the top ten. That's Damon. right. That's right. Um, and while you're at it, go ahead and rate a review while we're there. We live off of those reviews. Yes. And we like to hear your feedback genuinely. Exactly. So. And if you want to get to number one. You're definitely going to want to be subscribed. Yes, absolutely. So, all right. So let's go ahead and let's get into it. Yes. What's number nine this week? Number nine is none other than Ash. When the world needed a hero. This one was Anybody die? What it got was him. Groovy. You know your shoelace is untied. He's a 20th century guy. For that arrogance. I shall see you dead. Trapped in the Middle Ages. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick. Now, let's talk about how I get back home. Foretold by a mystical book. Within its pages are passages that can send you back to your time. Forewarned by a wise man. You must recite the words, Klaatu, Berata, Nictu. I got it, I got it. Fulfilled by a wise guy. Klaatu. When the army spoke the words, the army of the dead awoke. Now, he's got a date. Give me some sugar, baby. With the army of darkness. You found me beautiful once. Honey, you got real ugly. Ash and his friends travel to a cabin where they find the Necronomicon, a.k.a. the Book of the Dead, along with a tape recorder. On this tape, there's a recording of the owner of the cabin, Professor Raymond Noby, who is translating a passage of the Book of the Dead. By playing this tape, they awaken an evil demon. Because of this demon, Ash and his friends and sister were consequently possessed and killed one by one. It wasn't until Ash was the last survivor that he finally destroys the Necronomicon by throwing it into the fireplace. Throughout the rest of the Evil Dead series, Ash becomes the protector of the realm against the Evil Deadites. Yes. All right, Christian, let's go ahead and do the stats. The first appearance of Ash is in the Evil Dead, 1981, uh, directed by Sam Raimi, and he's portrayed by Bruce Campbell. Yes, the legendary Bruce Campbell. The one and only. Uh, we don't have a body count for Ash because... It's unfathomable. Yes, it's unquantifiable. <laughs> So, all right, Christian, why did Ash make your list for the top horror icons? 
if it isn't just his catchphrases alone, it's, you know, how awesome the films are. You know, you have... The first one's great and all, but then you have these unbelievable sequels. Yes. As well as a great TV series to mm-hmm. go along with it. I mean, he is such a horror icon in general. Yes. Just his fight against the Deadites is so memorable, and it's definitely, like, what you would think of when it comes to, like... I don't want to say low budget in general, but it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like horror and like the the typical gore and the fun. There's there's such a, a different but innovative element. at the same time. Exactly like what they did with claymation and everything mm-hmm. like that. I mean, really brought it to like the next level, and I think inspired a lot of like up and coming filmmakers. Hey, I can do this on my own. Um, you know, obviously a lot of them couldn't do as well as Sam Raimi, but Jesus Christ, it definitely inspired a huge crop of, you know, young, you know, filmmakers at the time. And I think it's still inspiring, mm-hmm. you know, um, creators. So, um, I absolutely agree. I mean, Ash is really, if you think about it, it's every fanboy's dream of what they would be like reacting yes. to these insane situations and these crazy scenarios. Um, you know, just over the top, <laughs> chewing scenery, uh-huh. um, just campy goodness. And I mean, if you think, I mean, he really carries those movies on his back. You know, I mean, he is n- no doubt the star of the movie. So, and he's he's the only protagonist we have on our top horror icon list. Yes. So, um, and well deserved, you know, um, you know, I think we were debating whether or not he should be actually further up the list. Um, I mean, really the only other protagonist that I could think of that would belong on the list are like Laurie Strode and like Dr. Loomis and maybe Tommy Jarvis, maybe Tommy Jarvis. So, um, but yeah, he, he definitely wears the crown when it comes to protagonists, Mm -hmm. you know, um, he is absolutely an anti-hero. Um, just, I mean, just even his look is iconic with the chainsaw, you know, arm and everything. Um, just fantastic. And like you mentioned, like the catchphrases. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of, what's funny is before I even like saw the movie, I heard his catchphrases within like video games and other forms of material that like, I, I was saying like, this is my boomstick for like years before I even saw the movie uh-huh. Evil Dead. Just because I love that line. And it's just like it's funny how like much this film is like so ingrained in pop culture in general. Yeah, it's it's because like the first movie he plays it pretty straight, mm-hmm. you know, and then the second movie just becomes almost Three Stooges, you know, and it's just slapstick goodness, and you know he's going over the top with the one liners. It's very eighties and everything. I mean, he's just arrogant and just brazen, but wonderful all at the same time. Um, you know, like he believes his own fucking hype and he doesn't care, but he's still like us at the same time Uh where you could tell he's terrified, but he's kind of like facing everything with bravado. Um, and that's why I love the character because he's so flawed, you know, he's not your typical like action hero. He's just trying to play that part. Yeah, so I think that's why so many like fanboys and fangirls can Mm -hmm. relate to the character. So they, they, you're putting he's putting on his game face, you know, facing these deadites, and Just he refuses a guy from to give. Smart, you know. Yes, damn it. <laughs> shop smart, shop S smart. Uh, just, I mean, just I mean, using a line like groovy mm-hmm. and just getting it over, you know, to use wrestling terminology to the point that he did, just ridiculousness. Um, but all in the good ways. Would you say that's your favorite line? 
No, you know what? For me, it's hell to the king, baby. <laughs> that is a good one. Yeah. I, um, what's your favorite line? Good or bad, I'm the one with the gun. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and there's so many, yes. you know, subtle ones. He's that, a machine. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So, yeah, no. I, I'm sad to hear that he won't be supposedly, mm-hmm. you know, coming back to the role. He's supposed to be retired. Um, but we did recently have an announcement that, you know, Sam Raimi is going to be continuing on with the series and the franchise. Um, and recently they did an interview uh, stating that they already have a director in place yes. for it. I was a little disappointed that it wasn't just Sam Raimi. I'm not sure why he doesn't want to, you know, sit in that chair again. But I I trust them, you know, because it's him and Bruce. Bruce is actually a producer on it um that they'll find you know the right person to helm the project i'm just hoping it's not you know where ghost remember the um the female-led ghostbusters where it's like they do random cameos where it's like ash could be in there somewhere in a corner i feel like that's totally gonna happen but (laughs) i think it's okay Mm -hmm. um i i think there's definitely a possibility of ash popping up and doing a cameo as ash you know um i don't know if you try to recast ash i can't imagine that mm-hmm. um if you could though <laughs> oh um, i just i don't feel like he's replaceable no who is the problem modern day like let's say bruce campbell didn't exist and there's no bruce campbell today what's it what is the actor right now that you would have put in that role ryan reynolds that's actually perfect <laughs> <laughs> He could handle that. Yes. Right? I, that's mm-hmm. the only person I could think of. You know, I feel like they're pretty much cut out the same mold, if you think about it. So, because a young Bruce Campbell could kill it as Deadpool. Exactly. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I almost kind of want to go back and see what that would yes, look like. Yes, I feel like they're almost interchangeable. <laughs> Holy shit, Ryan Reynolds is just doing a Bruce Campbell impression. <laughs> And it took me how many years to figure it out? <laughs> All right, Christian, let's move on. Who is number eight on our list? It's Reagan McNeil, um, or better known as Pazuzu. <laughs> about possession as most priests look your daughter doesn't say she's a demon she says she's the devil himself i'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter now i want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind you tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good you tell me that One hope, the only hope, the exorcist. Reagan is the daughter of a famous actress, Chris McNeil. Reagan was a shy, creative young girl who is taken by the demon Pazuzu and gradually assumes a strange, aggressive, and completely different behavior, which, (laughs) which worries and scares her mother, forcing Chris 
to consult an exorcist. Um, the actress playing was Linda Blair. Her uh, the first appearance of the character was in William Blady, uh, William Peter Blady's Exorcist from 1971, and then the film was in 1973, directed by William Friedkin. Why did she make our horror icon list? Well, for me, she is the personification of innocent, completely corrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and by a demon. Albeit so, uh, I I don't think there is another performance that can parallel what Linda Blair did with this role. Um, it just it, the Exorcist is one of my favorite horror, not only my favorite horror movies of all time, but one of my favorite movies of all time. So um, it's truly terrifying watching her go through that transformation from being this like sweet innocent i believe she's like maybe like nine or ten in the film and then becoming this vile beast um you know by the end of the film so um and just that just the anguish that you know her mother is going through trying to figure out what the hell is going on with her daughter and everything um and just you know having to go through this battle with you know evil literally evil Mm. um it's just something as like a parent that I can't imagine, <laughs> um, and it's something you know when I first watched the movie as you know, and uh, I I think I was maybe ten. Um, it was you know terrifying, but now it's even more like relatable and everything. So I, I really like view the film through you know the mother's eyes now. Um, I think when I was 10, I was more worried about getting possessed myself. Mm-hmm. But now it's like I, I'm watching the movie as a parent. And I, I just, I can't imagine going through that. And like the mom is kind of agnostic, you know. So she's having to come to like, you know, face the realization that, you know, it's something that she doesn't quite understand that is like corrupting her daughter. Um, and she reaches out to these priests, you know, because she's at complete wit's end. She doesn't know what to do and where to turn. And in fact, which makes it even more terrifying, the scientists that she has, like, you know, analyzing and trying to figure out what the hell's going on with Reagan are the ones who send her, you know, to the priests and mm. everything. Um, it's just, I mean, it's such a great film. I, I don't, like, I, it's a staple for me around this time of year. Um, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, Linda Blair, you know, actually was nominated for an Oscar mm-hmm. and rightfully so. Um, it just, it's amazing. It really no, is yeah. an amazing performance. That transfer, like, those performances in this film still stand up, which I think is incredible for something that came from 1973. And we've seen so many, like, um, demonic children over the years. Yes. And still nothing stands anywhere near Linda Blair's performance in this film. And it, it, every performance, unfortunately, is compared to mm-hmm. Linda Blair's. And they just totally, like, fell in comparison, mm-hmm. honestly. So, um, and there's been some really solid, like, possession movies. But really, have any of them left any kind of serious mark? So, mm-hmm. I mean, the last one that really, like, tackled possession well, and it was in a roundabout way, was The Conjuring. Yes. You know, um, but even that, it's not. I, mean, it, I can't say one performance in that film stands out near as close to The Exorcist. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
And that was a great film. I'm not. I'm not downing that. No, at all. I'm no, just saying. no. But The Exorcist was groundbreaking. Mm. It really was, and really in its wake, it inspired so many fantastic mm. films. Um, so I, I, I just, I, I honestly, for me, Reagan probably would be a little higher on this list. But you know, it's it's all about compromise. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some big icons coming. I know, up. I know, but for I, Jesus, I love this movie and I <laughs> mm-hmm. love this performance. Really, I mean, just all the vile things that she goes through and this metamorphosis of this child, mm-hmm. you know, into this creature where she's almost unrecognizable. I mean, the effects, the makeup, um, you know, just I mean, the sound is like they use like an actress to like kind of do the voice of Reagan. Um, it, it's so perfect and seamless where you almost feel like the child is literally going through mm-hmm. this possession, you know, where you're feeling like you're watching like a documentary at times. Um, it, it, it's amazing. It's a, just an amazing feat of cinema. I think the most iconic scene that stands out for me will always be the head turn. Uh-huh. Where it finally goes all the way around. Yeah, and it's a brilliant, mm-hmm. you know, piece of effects work, honestly. Like how they like had to hide the seam, you know, on the neck and everything. They ended up using the hair, which makes mm-hmm. perfect sense. But it's something that you wouldn't necessarily think of. It's so simple. Well, they did so many things in that film that just were it was awesome. To yes. Watch. And- like, um, I think the one thing I see all the time is, of course, the stairway shot where mm-hmm. they've tracked her the entire way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before stable, and, stabilization and everything like yes, that. Yes. Yeah. And well, and a lot of the stuff is so innovative, you know, for the time, you know, like even the way they made, like, the, they uh, made the furniture move mm-hmm. in the bedroom, like in one of the bigger scenes. The way that they had to actually get their breath to show up on screen was they actually refrigerated the whole fucking set. You know, nowadays it would just be CGI mm-hmm. or something like that. But they went through that painstaking process of having to, like, you know, shoot. I think it was almost, I don't know if they used a meat cooler or they just brought in a bunch of units or something like that. Um, you know, where it was like, you know, below freezing temps, you know, on the set. You know, the, the, they the, the cast, like, truly suffered. And there's all these, like, you know, urban legends and everything about, like, what the cast went through. And, the you know, the movie being cursed and everything. I, I, I believe there's actually a few, like, documentaries about mm. it. So um, You suffer for art. Yeah, no, literally. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, Reagan definitely belongs on this list. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to move on to number seven, Pennywise. I want to kill it. I just want to forget about it. It's not just us. It's all the other kids, too. Who's going to be next? It kills kids, damn it. You killed my brother George, you bastard. Let's see you now. Maybe it's the water. The water? Maybe it's the sewer. Hi, Georgie. <laughs> the character is an ancient cosmic evil which preys upon the children of Derry, Maine roughly every 27 years, using a variety of powers that include the ability to shapeshift, manipulate, and go unnoticed by adults. During the course of the story, it primarily appears in the form of Pennywise, the dancing clown. 
All right. What are the stats on this gentleman? His first appearance is in the novel It by Stephen King in 1986. Um, and then in the TV miniseries in 1990. He was portrayed by Tim Curry in the 1990 miniseries and later on by Bill Skarsgård in the remake. All right. Now, now there isn't an exact number of kills because he's been doing this for billions of years. That's right. But... I did look up a Reddit user who kind of did some math. Okay. Well, that's a trusted source right there. Who kind of did some math, huh? It, it, it sounds pretty sound. I mean, they come up with a number around 18,000 deaths over the last, you know, since the existence of what? Gary, at least. Okay. Over every 27 years. So they actually went through, what, like the novel and figured yeah. that out? Because it's like, where? Because in the movie, that's definitely not cited anywhere. Yeah, dairy existed around 270 years ago. Uh-huh. Um, if you put in about 40 to 60, multiply that by the number of years outside the cycle, giving a value between 10,000 and 15,000. And then they added, like, then they changed it to the cycle of years. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading to me right now, Christian? <laughs> All right, man, whatever. It's a lot. Yes, it's a lot of deaths. It's a lot of deaths. So, <laughs> All right, Christian, why did Pennywise make your list? Well, I mean, he just not only is the look distinctive for both versions. Yeah, and that's my... Well, actually, our, my first question is, what version are you going off? Are you going by both versions? Like Tim Curry and Bill Skarsgård? I would or say Or is there bef- one that stands out more to you? I would say even before the new iteration i would say tim curry's was iconic on its own oh absolutely i agree so i mean both are right now like right now man it is like the hot thing right now i mean because the two just came out and yes yes everything but super popular made lots of fucking money i do feel like the horror of clowns does definitely focuses around um tim curry's portrayal in general yeah, he kind of started the exactly. whole ball rolling, honestly. So um, I remember watching the original miniseries on TV and being absolutely terrified mm-hmm. by it. Um, I, I And I wasn't prepared for it at all. So when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, this is basically like Nightmare on Elm Street on network TV. Um, but scarier, honestly. Mm-hmm. So something about seeing younger characters in peril, in peril like you know, kids my age at mm-hmm. that time. Um, was super fucking relatable and really connected with me and just, you know, made the horror even more real. So, um, no, I believe like seeing the little boy, even in the beginning, getting his like arm ripped off. Yes. It's just unbelievable. Like the remake didn't pull any punches. No, (laughs) no. So that, the the miniseries leaves Mm -hmm. that up to your imagination. No, but but they decided to just show it. Holy shit. You know, because um, usually when I, like, even with horror movies, like, when I started watching them, I was like, you know what? The kid is always safe yes. in my mind. I was like, the kid's never going to get hurt. Yes, and even at that, I think I was in middle school when the movie came out. That's already mm-hmm. a lesson that I learned from watching horror movies, that the kids always survive. It's just the young teenagers who are yeah. really at risk. So, uh, but yeah, no. So seeing that and everything like that, yeah, made it even more terrifying for me. And Tim Curry... I mean, his performance is just so ridiculously awesome. 
Um, you know, I, I, I still, even though he's got a huge following, I still don't feel like that guy gets enough mm-hmm. credit, you know, just, not just for this role, but for all of his roles in general. Um, yeah, but then Bill Skarsgård, I mean, you got to give him credit because he, he really like fucking picked up the ball and ran with it and made the character his own. You know, I mean, it's different, but it's still, you know, in that vein, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, he basically took the, the table that Tim Curry sat and, you know, made it his own feast, if you will. So um, I, I just, I can't say enough about both performances. Good, good alliteration there, man. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the second half is definitely like the dampener for both films yeah but it's it's weird because it's for different reasons Mm -hmm. too because the second half of the miniseries there's less pennywise which i think definitely weakens it and then you're following the adults so you know i think they're less relatable and everything where you know with the second film um the problem is there's too much pennywise and they really like overexpose the character. I mean, it's still good and still stands up, um, but I think they needed to kind of dial it back a little um, and let the clown kind of stalk the kids more and let a lot of things up to like the theater of the mind, if you will. But do you feel that those the second halves hurt the character in any way or hurt its you know iconicism in any way? No, exactly. That's no. what I'm trying to say. Is like. Even though, like, it's... Because with, like, Candyman and a few of those others, their sequels are... (laughs) Yes. No, can be kind of harmful. Yeah. Yes. No, I agree. Um, Where I think the only thing that makes it a little watered down is the fact that it, like, transforms into this, like, spider. Mm -hmm. Literally in the miniseries, it's just a giant spider. So, and, like, even at, like, the young age of 12, I didn't find it scary at all. Um, they do a better job with it in the, uh, you know, sequel to the remake, but it's still pretty weak, mm-hmm. you know, compared to what we got actually in the first remake, you know, the first film. Um, so I, I don't know, man, I just, it, but that's, that's in the story. Mm-hmm. So there's not really much you can do. And I, I don't know what else the director could have done with that, you know, cause it's, it's such a big part of the story. So unless they just kind of, you know, don't deal with the whole transformation and everything like that. I'm sure it's probably more of a novel thing, and I haven't read the book. Um, but because it's not really explained well exactly what the hell's going on mm-hmm. in the film. Well, I imagine that's so, real hard to translate. Yes. Oh, exactly. And I mean, the movie's already, you know, the miniseries is what, like four hours exactly. long? And it's, uh, Jesus Christ, the second film, you know, that we recently got is like two hours and 45 minutes. So, I mean, honestly, they went, and I think the first one's like two hours. So they, they even went longer with the two movies. Um, and they still couldn't get like the insane origin mm-hmm. story, you know, that it has. So it's like some cosmic entity or something that's a billion years old. I might even try to get into it. So, I mean, I'm glad that they didn't take that deep dive. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I do feel like that, that second part of the film and the climax mm-hmm. hurts a little. Just a little, but not enough to really tarnish. No, you know the the character in general. I mean, these that character has ruined clowns for an entire generation of people. Yes, I mean clowns hate 
Pennywise. Yes. <laughs> you know, professional clowns hate it. Mm. So, because, yeah, they've definitely been victimized because of Pennywise and shit, where people are like, get the fuck away from me, clown. So, I mean, I'm trying to think of another, like, horrifying clown figure besides, like, the Joker, obviously, mm-hmm. um, at that time, in that time period. Um, but really, it's, if you think about the character, he's basically like Freddy. You know, as a clown, mm-hmm. like power set and everything like that. But it doesn't matter. It still works. I mean, people have like come out and said, you know, Stephen King's kind of just riffing on like Nightmare on Elm Street with the books and everything. Um, but goddamn, it's fantastic. You know, <laughs> I mean, he took something awesome and made mm-hmm. it even better. So I can't really complain. You know, and I don't think anyone really is. No. So um, do you have a preference? Christian between <sighs> Tim Curry and Bill Skarsgård. I just think they're both I know that's a middle answer, but I just no. think they're both very distinct and amazingly well done act amazingly well done performances in general. No, I agree. I agree. I don't think I could really choose cuz there there's so many like subtle nuances that mm-hmm. they both, you know, bring to the character that, you know, there's things that I love that Tim Curry was doing. I think his performance is more subtle where Bill Skarsgård is definitely more over the top, but just fucking fun as hell, you know? Um, I, I really, I I loved, you know, the remake, the first part. How about this? If you were to dress up as one, which one would you pick? Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Tim Curry's Pennywise, because it just looks a lot more comfortable, because it's baggy <laughs> and everything. I feel like the suit's a little more breathable. Um, I hear you, I hear you. I, I think I like the paint and everything of the um, Bill Skarsgård, so I'd probably... Yeah, the paint is probably mm-hmm. better, but like... Uh, yeah, the suit is probably Tim Curry. Tim Curry's, <laughs> the makeup's a lot simpler, uh-huh. and you know, it's just a bald cap, really. Um, with a bozo wig, so I don't know. I dig it, you know. And something's just under. I'm already like halfway it. there, so it's just like <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything, but <laughs> oh, I've been called maybe, bozo plenty. Maybe of times. Ha- Halloween costume this year, Christian. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for this week of the countdown. Um, stay tuned for next week. All right, Dan, let's talk some news. All right, every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We are not mild matter reporters. We are mere podcasters with opinions. All right, Damon. This week, Kevin Feige just takes over the whole damn company. Yes, <laughs> yes. This past Tuesday, it was revealed that Kevin Feige has been promoted to chief creative officer over all of Marvel, uh, including TV, comics, publishing, and film. Is, is this too much? <laughs> I'm a little scared he's going to be spread too thin. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just kind of like a figurehead like position um, where he'll just be kind of overseeing other people. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like a lot. And I TV, it's kind of like obvious everything that's going on with Disney+. Plus. We know that he is going to be producing all those shows. Um, you know, and obviously the films, but then I don't know with, with the comics that concerns me a little bit because as far as I know, he's never really dabbled on that side. Mm. So, um, and not that Marvel couldn't use, you know, a new direction to kind of revitalize and everything. And we know that it's been suffering, you know, sales wise for a long time, which makes absolutely no sense with how popular those films are. 
Um, but it does feel like Faki is going to be spread quite thin at this point. And maybe they had to like swing the pot for him. You know, that's the only thing I could think of. Maybe they felt like we don't want to lose you over to, you know, Star Wars um, or, or, you know, greener pastures. So, you know, maybe they felt like they needed to give them even a bigger position at this point. So I, I just I'm not sure, you know, him in charge of the comic books, you know, how that's going to work. I feel like I mean, I can't imagine it changing too much. Because, I mean, right now, what they do usually is, like, a film is coming around, so they boost that character a little bit in the comics a little bit more. They show off that character more. Yeah, but I kind of hate that when they do that. Because I feel like that kind of stunts a lot of the comics, like, story arcs. When, like, you know, Captain America's going through this major arc, and then all of a sudden, oh, there's a new movie coming out, so we need to get Captain America, like, back true to form. You know, mm-hmm. true to, like, the way that we see him, you know, on film. So hopefully we can grab new readers. There's always a lot of that. Or, oh, you know, we want, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start drawing, you know, Frank Castle to look exactly like he looks like in, like, the Netflix, you know, show. They did that for yes. a while. You know, I, I don't want more of that because I always hate that, you know. And I love the films and I love the shows. But, you know, it's almost like don't mix the two like you don't need to make one seem lesser than the other where the comics need to follow suit with the films because i mean i feel like it's its own separate medium you know and really it's the other way around if you think about it you know all the great comic book movies start on the page Mm -hmm. so I, i i feel like he respects the medium enough though where he realizes that and maybe he'll want to get more of a cohesive direction for the comics i could i mean i would hope so you know you know if you think about it i mean really his books i mean his books his movies you know are scaled back versions of you know what the comics do with the story arcs and everything like that um and i feel like marvel could use that you know and i've been god i've been harping on the fact that marvel needs to reboot for such a long time <laughs> now and i I'd be okay with if if I came in and just kind of shook things up and said, okay, no, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start from ground zero. And, you know, we're going to build this universe the right way. Because we know he has the vision to do it. You know, he has the patience to do it, obviously. And I think he, he could be a good selling point to fans. I trust that, but at the same time, I feel like there's enough people that would be against it. Yeah, and Marvel fans are very much mm-hmm. like, you know so loyal to continuity and everything um but we see that it can work over like dc does it every fucking like three years Mm -hmm. it seems like um and i for me really sometimes continuity gets in the way of good storytelling because i i'm one of those fans where i want everything to make sense and be cohesive but lately i feel like with a lot of the marvel books sometimes that's just getting in the way of just you know telling fantastic stories um there's so much baggage with so many of these classic characters now it's hard for like new readers to just jump in Mm -hmm. so i wouldn't mind even if it's not a hard reboot even if it's like a soft reboot where he can kind of streamline things a little more i feel like that would make sense so maybe he brings you know that to the table that's totally just me speculating (laughs) like i said this could just be a figurehead position Mm -hmm. and they wanted to you know make his checks a little bigger so um but it it does feel like a lot 
a lot. I don't think that they would be afraid of him working on a Star Wars film, especially if he's still under the Disney umbrella. That's true, but he they could think that, okay, well, he's working over here. Is he going to get the itch to like work mm. somewhere else? You know, he's already accomplished so much on this side. Like, where else can he possibly go at this point? So, I mean, it could be kind of a move to kind of like placate that, you know, let's go ahead and give him more, you know, on, you know, his plates, you know, to keep him satisfied and everything. So, I don't know. But once again, we're just speculating. That's what we do here. (laughs) God damn it. All right, so moving on, what else do we have, Chris? Well, continuing on with Marvel news, but on the Sony side. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Venom's sequel adds another villain um, Shriek, Carnage's love interest. David, how do you feel about this? Well, I hated Christian. (laughs) (laughs) You know, at the time uh, in the books, I was not a fan of the whole Maxim Carnage, you know, storyline. It felt like it ruined everything that I loved about Venom and Carnage. Um, It was just, once again, just oversaturizing and overexposing that character. So, I guess it makes sense for what they're doing in the films which is just a bunch of bullshit. So I, I can see um, why they're going this route, but I'm not happy with it mm-hmm. at all. And I don't trust them, you know, and not that I love shriek or anything like that, but I just don't care about the character. Um, I found this interesting because we also were getting tons of like rumors this week and teases from, you know, Tom Hardy and Tom Holland that there might be a crossover in the works yes i mean they're playing around with the idea it definitely seems like if they put in a deal that's probably something that they would try to tie oh, between in. disney and uh sony exactly yeah i mean if anything i mean if they're only promised a couple more films with disney and they made it work with venom you know mm-hmm. that's you know there's you go there's your franchise moving forward there's something that you can build on and grow on your own without it- it would Marvel. be smart on mm-hmm. Sony's part. You know, we need to kind of start laying the groundwork for our own universe, um, you know, after, you know, possibly if, you know, Disney and them go their separate ways. I still feel like they'll end up working out another deal yeah. to kind of extend it because why not? Um, Disney's but, yeah. just going to buy Sony. That, well, that, <laughs> that was another rumor going around and it really makes sense because at first I thought the rumor was, oh, Disney's just going to buy Spider-Man as a character mm-hmm. from Sony. But then it was like, no, they're straight up going to try to buy fucking Sony. <laughs> and I guess that they could. I just don't know if I want that. You know, just for creators out there. Mm. You know, it feels like the marketplace is getting smaller and smaller somehow. You know, and that when does it start becoming just a monopoly? A monopoly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm more afraid of the other companies that I know probably need Sony more, mm-hmm. like Apple. Apple needs a content creator with and that has tech industry behind it as well, and I could totally see them picking up Sony. That makes, and I wouldn't even think about that angle to the story. Mm-hmm. You know, that that that's smart. Yeah, that does make sense. So it would definitely hurt. Gaming is things. like their biggest weak spot at Apple. Yeah. So it's like picking up Sony would be perfect for them. But then you got Spider-Man locked on Apple TV. You know, it's like... Jesus Christ, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there'd be a huge domino effect, mm-hmm. honestly. So, and that's just every time, you know, and we were kind of like, you know, celebrating the Fox, you know, Disney merger. Um, but you think about like all those like people who lost their jobs yes. and everything. So it's hard to really like truly celebrate it. Um, but yeah, no, I... 
I'm just fearful, you know, of this crossover. I hope it makes sense if they do do like a true Spider-Man crossover. Yeah, I was hoping that it would just almost be like a soft reboot, you know, where they can try to tell like Venom's true origin mm-hmm. story using Spider-Man. Um, but it definitely feels like they're not going to do that. If, no. You know, they're still going the carnage route and, you know, they're adding Shriek for crying out loud. I just hope fucking Cletus isn't wearing that goddamn red wig, you know, that Woody was sporting at the end of Venom. So. It'd be, you know it would be great? They start off the film and all you hear is like a sound of razors and just the orange hairs falling off. Yeah. Onto the floor. <laughs> do, you think, do you think they go like straight like natural born killers with this? I would want that. Yeah, where you know? it's like, I just, I feel like they'll like pay homage to it, but it'll be such a watered down version. Um, so I, it's totally gonna be Mickey and Mallory. I, I have a feeling now. I mean, if if they give it a good script and and Andy Circus takes it in the right direction, maybe we can fix this fucking shit. And that's promising. You mm-hmm. know, I'm excited about Andy Circus now being part of you know this project and really helming it. So. Um, if anything could kind of get, you know, their like, you know, mocap issues, you know, straight in, it would be Andy Circus, and he knows how to kind of, you know, act in that world. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I don't know, man. Nothing excites me about Venom right now, honestly. <laughs> I'm just, I can, I can already picture, like, you know, how often um, Venom was off of um, Tom Hardy in the film. Yeah, you know, that's exactly what's going to happen. Is like the the do the merger and it'll just be like some probably simple moment where Venom just jumps onto Spider-Man and that's how he picks up the you know the white symbol and continues to move on forward. Maybe I could you know I could almost see it where like Tom Holland does like a brief cameo in this movie and then it leads to yes. like a bigger crossover in 3. Mm-hmm. That's kind of I feel like that's probably the safe route that they'll choose since they kind of have everything lined up. And I'm sure at the point when they were like, they're in pre-production now for it. So at that point, they didn't really know what the future was with, you know, Spider-Man and everything. So um, it it feels like that would probably make the most sense, Hmm. you know, story-wise. Not that I even give a shit about it. I'm just crapping all over this. (laughs) The sequel is supposed to be your, you know, your empire, your darker film, your... Your middle piece that Do gets you to the Do you really the think next they're thinking in those terms? No, but <laughs> traditionally like they speaking, see this as a trilogy. That's in a trilogy. Mm-hmm. You know, where no, they the, see the it as act is like, that, but I don't think they see it. They as, see it as like a ten movie franchise. Yes, you know? exactly. <laughs> so I don't think I think that's kind of thrown out the window. So and Venom should be pretty dark anyway. <laughs> but my God, I don't know. I really wanted them to do a reboot, honestly. I'm fine. Keep Tom Hardy. Mm. You know, absolutely keep Tom Hardy. But give us the true origin. Of or, or let him go so he can be Wolverine. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that would be nice, too. Maybe he comes part of the deal. Wouldn't that be great? Like, we'll give you Tom Hardy. <laughs> and you can keep on playing with, you know, Spider-Man, so... Um, but yeah, no, he would be the perfect Wolverine. God damn it, Christian. <laughs> it's totally going to ruin any like casting news when they finally do like cast Wolverine. Mm-hmm. It's like, but it isn't Tom Hardy. So it's going to be, it's going to be hard to get excited because I really want Tom Hardy to be Wolverine. So, okay. We're not going to go down the ra- rabbit hole of <laughs> casting Wolverine. Yes, yes. Let's move on to another franchise. Okay. 
the Batman has more casting news. This week we got Zoe Kravitz picking up Catwoman. That is awesome casting. I was mm-hmm. super excited when I heard that. So um, she's been in uh, Mad Max. Speaking of Tom Hardy, yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> she was in Mad Max. Uh, she was in um, X Men First Class as Angel. Um, and she actually voiced Catwoman in the Batman Lego movie. Which I completely didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't either until I hit IMDb. So I was like, holy shit, she's played the character before. I mean, very briefly. I feel like Catwoman had maybe a line mm. in that movie. So, um, But yeah, no. Uh, exciting news. Um, you know, and I feel like it's a perfect fit for the character. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad choice at all. Um, I would like to... I hope that this is like a big a bigger role for her because a lot of her roles are kind of like side characters but Catwoman is very prominent in Batman's life especially right now in the comics I mean like this is like his his main woman here yeah I don't know (laughs) you know I'm I'm curious because it does definitely from everything that we're heard Mm -hmm. you know it seems like they're going to be telling at least a long Halloween inspired type story um, where you have a huge cast of villains to play with um, but this could be kind of like the tip of the iceberg where mm-hmm. you're kind of getting introduced to that character and it could lead to like, you know, a bigger role into like, you know, in the Batman film oh, down the line. Cause they're definitely seeing this as like a franchise. No, I think, so. I, and I think the long Halloween is a good way if you're going to start a franchise fresh like that and you want to introduce all these elements yes. that gets people interested. It's almost like having the dartboard up and saying, Hey, which character are you, what do you want to see us fight first? You know? Yes. And like you leave everybody wanting more mm-hmm. of each character so i mean it's smart you really can world build in one film you know and like here no here's his whole cast his whole rogues gallery mm-hmm. you know and aren't you excited for everything that's to come well speaking of his rogues gallery mm-hmm. um we had news on jonah hill not really wanting to stick with it yeah, and I guess immediately things. getting replaced. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Jonah Hill was like long rumored for the role of the Riddler or perhaps the Penguin, um, but you know I think it was just earlier this week where we heard things fell through um, negotiation wise, and then like the next day, Paul Dano was announced to be taking on the role. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your thoughts on the casting? I mean, he definitely looks the part i don't know the actor well enough though like to really comment on it you know i haven't seen a lot of his work but at the same time from what i have seen mm-hmm. i know he can play this type of role okay in general i i feel like he could handle um i don't know if he would handle it the same like i don't feel like he would bring the same intensity maybe jonah hill might have okay but i could still see him totally rocking the riddler like I, if any like if he was to be cast as any character, I would definitely put him in that type of uh, role. The Riddler's such a fun character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's someone who can like trade wits with Batman, and I feel like he doesn't get enough credit when it comes to like Batman's rogue gallery. Mm. So uh, I'm glad that they're kind of you know it seems like they're going to use that character as a main focus of this film because it's you know I don't think you put Jonah Hill in that role. If that's true, if everything we heard was true, yeah. even um, unless he was going to be a main, you know, villain for for Batman to go up against. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a big part, mm. you know, I, I hope they do it justice. I feel like 
right or wrong, Jim Carrey kind of left a bad taste in people's mm. mouths with, you know, his version of the character, which I enjoyed the campiness of it at the time, but it's definitely not like Riddler true to form, you know, what we've gotten from the books. I mean, Jesus, it was probably more of the Joker than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm hoping that they give the Riddler, you know, a moment to really shine in the film. You know, and do just do him justice. Yeah, I hope he he isn't portrayed as like a lesser to Batman. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want him to be too much of a um, smaller character. If well, that the makes thing sense. is, too, with the Riddler in the comic books, he outsmarts mm-hmm. Batman at every turn. He just has this neurotic thing about him where he has to leave a fucking clue. For, you know, Batman to solve. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, everything that he sets up, he wins almost every time. It, it's just this this compulsion to leave a goddamn clue um, that really always foils him. So, I mean, it's just a fun character. Um, you know, he's truly neurotic. And that's why I felt like Jonah Hill was like the perfect fit. So mm-hmm. I was definitely disappointed. But, I mean, who knows? Paul... Dano might be, you know, a better fit, <laughs> and he might knock it out of the park. So um, here's to hoping. One name I did see a lot of people throwing around uh, with casting in general, which I think he needs to be in the rogues gallery as any character, is James McAvoy, which I would have thought would have been a great fit as well. Who would you put him as? Um, originally, I would have thought the Riddler. I he, thought that didn't been he a actually great... come out and actually say that he's interested in playing the character? I think so. Okay. I could see James as like uh, Mr. Freeze. He would make him a good Mr. Freeze. But not he's just such a good. He's been bald lately. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm picturing that. He is such a good character. Um, but at the same time, I feel like he can pull off maniacal. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm looking. F- I'm trying to think of. Oh, he'd fucking own it. He would. He oh, would, he'd yeah. own anything. That's yeah, what... <laughs> but like the Riddler, especially. Mm-hmm. Like you could see him really get it into that character. He's so, like, I feel like he's still, I, even though everyone knows him and loves him, I still feel like he doesn't get, like, yeah. enough credit. It feels like he's underrated. It does, which is strange, you know, because I feel like he's been nominated for things, mm-hmm. um, but not enough, you know? <laughs> and I think maybe because he plays with so many genre films mm-hmm. at this point, um, but goddamn, he fucking does it so well. Um, I, I think we were talking about it, right? When we were doing the review yes. for Chapter 2, mm-hmm. you know, I swear... He changed his fucking walk for that role, which is insane to think about because he could just play that role straight mm. and be fine, you know. Um, but I swear to God, like I was walking, wa- watching him like walk down the street. I was like, he totally fucking altered his walk for this character. Um, so I don't know if he like he probably sat there and studied how the kid walked, mm-hmm. you know, and then like changed his walk to like coincide with that. I could totally see him. He's that kind of actor, though. Yeah. You know, so. And may, or maybe I'm just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on, Christian. It's that time again. Yes, it's time for Christian's Corner. Yeah! All right, Damon, holiday season is coming up pretty fast, which means games are coming out pretty fast. It's We're knee-deep into fall. Okay. Um, I figured I'd tell you what I'm buying the next three weeks, because I'm buying a shit ton of games for no goddamn reason. (laughs) (laughs) Because you like to burn money, huh? Exactly. Uh, Starting off, I wanted to bring up um, Outer Worlds is coming out uh, next week, actually, October 25th. Um, It's kind of like the... 
predecessor or like they made um, Fallout New Vegas, which was kind of one of the original Fallout games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's back to form really because ever since um, the newer studio took over the game, it's it's lost a little bit of quality in general. Um, this should be it's not this won't be the same as like uh, New Vegas or anything like that. It's not like free. 100% like free roam anywhere, but there is, you know, a storyline that lets you choose whatever you want to choose. You know, um, everything has consequences, everything has, you know, different paths that you will be taking throughout the story. And it looks incredibly fun. Like, they've, it's a game that isn't made to be too serious, but, you know, it's in a very dark um, post apocalyptic, not post apocalyptic, uh, maybe post consumerism world okay. <laughs> where you know um, companies pretty much run everything and you're in space it looks very fun um, I'm definitely picking up next week instead of picking up another game that I'll be talking about a little bit <laughs> uh, that comes out October 25th as I said next up I have Need for Speed Heat uh, which comes out November 8th a lot of games coming out on November 8th actually okay uh, Need for Speed has always been a little soft spot for me. I like driving games, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want something too realistic. I need something a little bit more arcadey, you know, so it's fun. You know, I, I don't want to crash every five seconds and then have a told car. Yeah, what fun is that? <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and this this one, as I've said before, you know, really feels like they've taken kind of the love of um, certain titles in the past and really just meshed it all together. To try to make the best thing possible, and I and I really appreciate that because last few years, you know, uh, of this game and this series has just kind of been like, you know, we're throwing darts at the wall. What will stick? What will what will people like? And how do we profit off it as much as possible? Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's it's all been about the bottom line. Exactly, and that's kind of a big thing with the you know gaming world right now is how do we make and continue to make money. Uh, also on November eighth is Death Stranding. Uh, a game that I'm pretty much gonna pick up, I think, for this podcast, just so I can be able to talk about it with you guys, because it's just so goddamn confusing what this game is about. <laughs> Wait, is that the game that you've been talking about? Yes, with last... Norman Reedus. Yes, okay. Guillermo del Toro's in it. Yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ, you better pick it up. <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about it for what, exactly. like over a year now. So, um, I mean. They, they showed off gameplay in the last few months, and I mean, it looks like another one of Hideo Kojima's masterpieces, and it definitely looks like there's more to it than we ever could have expected. How so, is that even possible? Because <laughs> aren't people like, what, you're like pissing on shit, and like, exactly. shrooms are like, <laughs> popping up, and... They, they showed off some action pieces, finally, and it actually, it you know, the game was finally there. So it was like, it wasn't just like, this is someone's art piece where you're just roaming around beautiful countrysides. No, this is there is a real game element there. Because didn't like Norman Reedus come out and say he doesn't even understand <laughs> what the hell the game's about? Yeah, but who would? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if anyone, maybe Guillermo del Toro would, because he's just a madman as well. Uh uh-huh. so, <laughs> yeah, It's just it's a filmmaker who just decided to make games instead. Oh, you know, hey uh, man, more power to him. <laughs> And last but not least, I have Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order for November 15th. Right. Um, you know, it's it, it'll be good to finally get into another big Star Wars game. Finally. You know, it's been a while uh, other than Battlefront. There hasn't been anything, I would say, worthwhile 
for Star Wars. Okay. Um, you know, they, they were really not putting their license out there. You know, um, the transfer to Disney. Disney, of course, you know, sees an opportunity. Let's let's make some money off this. Let's give it to big game studios and have them, you know, put out some good titles. And this should finally be the first narrative game that isn't just, you know, a looter shooter, you know, that you're going through, you know. I have been impressed at least mm. with what I've seen trailer-wise. I actually am going to pick up uh, pick up the Inquisitor figure. Um, I usually stay away from like the video game like mm-hmm. toys and everything because I'm not a gamer, obviously. Um, but like the character design is so badass that I was like, no, I need that figure. Um, and there was what, there's some other trooper. What, what, no, the Purge trooper. Yes, the Purge trooper. Yes, yeah, so I was like, tell me more. <laughs> Um, so I pretty mean, much it, there just to soften you up until the Inquisitor comes. I mean, it's cool enough where it's mm-hmm. literally like dipping into my wallet now. So. <laughs> and, and I won't play the fucking thing at all. But I, you know, I, I know, need those I'll toys. Let you, let you borrow it if you get a new console. I'm or something. all about those toys. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening, Christian. I still have an Xbox 360 for crying out loud. Mm. But I, I also wanted to talk about a game that I'm not going to be buying. Oh yeah, what would that be, Christian? <laughs> um, you know. Over the years, I've always been a big WWE game fan, just in general. Okay. Um, I, I, I picked him up pretty much at the beginning. That was almost one of the lead-ins to why I even enjoyed WWE when I first was, was younger. Was I was able to play this game that would let you do pretty much whatever you want. You could create whatever you uh-huh. want, put all these moves to it. And it, that was like, you know, PS2 days, you know. Mm-hmm. And... At the time, it was like getting, it was like pretty almost innovative for like how much it would let you create and do and everything. And, you know, a yearly release game usually, you know, it builds upon itself. Each game is supposed to get better and better and better. Yeah. Well, you know, eventually we reached to a point where they sold to 2K and 2K, you know, a new studio has to start over at some point, right? You know, um, they have to start from the ground up, make a game that will work for uh, a new generation of consoles and everything. And so, you know, they, that's what they had. They had, I, I think it started in 2017. They had 2017, they've just been building up, you know. they Last year, I think, they finally made something where it felt all together, you know. Uh, it was it was finally something from the ground up, WWE 2K19. You know, it wasn't a great game, but it was it felt like it was actually finally getting somewhere. It was comparable so, to like the games that you played as a child. Exactly. So you would think WWE 2K20 would be, you know, finally we're there. We're we're getting new features. We're getting you know mm-hmm. a brand new game that 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 feel good finally. Nope. <laughs> True uh, to form for WWE. No, it, they, it's a step backwards. Exactly. Huh? Um, they've had to pretty much restart from the beginning. Because um, Yuke's the developer that was that's been with this game since you know early 2000s, maybe even um, late 90s. You know, has been working on this. Um, they've built the physics. There, you know, you can really tell that Yuke's was huge WWE fans and wrestling fans in general because they would bring in the moves from like New Japan and uh-huh. British wrestling. You know, they'd sneak it into the game. They wouldn't tell you who what wrestlers they were from, but they they really showed you love. Well, that was something that made a lot of, mm-hmm. like, the, you know, the games on, like, the classic games from, like, N64 and everything like that was the creative characters, you could actually create characters from outside Federation. Exactly. You know, you had movesets for, like, you know, 
uh, legendary wrestlers that weren't under contract with WWE. They would just like sneak it in. So um, it seemed like they were kind of carrying on that tradition. But you're saying that's not the case here? No, um, they've, I mean, Yuke's left. I mean, good for them. They're, they want to make other things probably at this point in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and 2K had to kind of, you know, start almost from scratch. They had all the pieces. They just needed to recode it for themselves. The physics are ruined, you know, at this point. Wow. It's, <sighs> things are just not moving right. It's it's at a fundamental way where it's a bad game instead of it being, you know, oh, it's bad because they didn't add new features or, oh, it's bad because they, you know. Um, it's actually gameplay. It's, yeah, it's it gameplay. Um, they decided to try to make it more accessible to casual players which is by changing the control scheme, which has been the same control scheme for at least the last nine years. Okay. Um, Jeez. <laughs> that's crazy, too, mm-hmm. for something that's released, you know, annually. Exactly. Um, for To make such big moves like that. I'm, you I'm, think that would hurt your base players going in, you know? Yeah. Like that. I'm surprised that they would make that choice. I mean, it feels like you're buying off more than you can really chew. I mean, it's like, keep it simple and just, you know, go with what you know. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know... Do you feel like the fact that it's, you know, a yearly release, you know, caused it a lot of harm with such a big transition? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like at some points you need to take a two-year break and just... Like, one of the things that keeps Call of Duty fresh, even though it's, it's, it's a fucking yearly title, um, Call of Duty is made by three different studios. Mm-hmm. You know, each studio gets a year where their game comes out. And that, that means they have a three-year cycle to make a new game. Because I was going to say, like, typically, uh, you know, just from mm-hmm. you know, obviously being on this podcast with you, like, a lot of these games come out, like, every, like, what, like, five, six years? Exactly. Like, where you get a sequel to the series? Because it takes so long to, like, build, you know, another game. So I'm, I'm surprised. How can they possibly do that? They just because they keep it so... Yeah, they generally take the assets of the previous game and they just add upon it. Okay. So that's usually, you know, the cycle. That's how, like, most of the NBA games come out every year. They're just updating everything. And couldn't they do that, though, with the game where they just kind of, you know, just add on different features every year and add different characters Mm -hmm. and new story modes and just kind of build with it that way but is it just like that's what they've been doing but now situation. now that yukes the people that were pretty much putting in all the good code can't do it anymore what i'm saying is like couldn't you just instead of like releasing a game every year couldn't you just do like patches and stuff like that or like add characters no you want you want the money you want that 60 dollars every year coming so it's in. all about the bottom line exactly once again uh-huh. so okay I, and that makes sense <laughs> it's an know? income you know yeah, obviously. Um, <laughs> no, it would make sense, to, you know, like you put out this is WWE 2K and then it's, you know, every year they just, you know, update the roster or something like yeah. that and then they can add like a new mode. That would be great. I would pay for that. Uh-huh. That's an easy way to make like a season pass or something like that where you're just paying for like free DLC down the road. Yeah, and then you could guarantee quality. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of, you know, it seems like what they got themselves into, you know, this year especially. Um, I just, at the end of the day, yeah, it's the bottom line. It's how do I make more money? How do I bring in more people? You know, each year it's a new game, so it's like, oh, you know, and and most kids are going to go out and be like, yeah, I need the new game. I need, mm-hmm. the, you know, it's holiday season. That's their big draw and everything. It's just like, how do I bring it? You know, it's actually fun uh, to think about uh, 
Because a lot of people that buy games before the holiday season, uh, they it's like they get like a couple months to like prepare for all the kids that pick it up on uh-huh. Christmas Day. Okay. And then it becomes like new killing season. Oh, okay. <laughs> for like a couple months. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, just in general, it's it's disappointing to see. Like, um, they brought out the same. I'm getting most of my information from about five or six YouTubers that I follow that get shipped out to the uh, game studio every year and they get to play it. So are they just shitting all over it? They're not they're not necessarily shitting all over it. They're just upset at this point. Okay. With it. Um because it's the basics that are broken at this point. It isn't, you know, just they made a bad feature for the game. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally the fundamental game is flawed and not working. Now, these games have always had glitches and bugs. It's been that way for years. But you know, to actually like feel like it's going way back where even the graphics look like garbage, like look like worse than some of the two thousand two games, the two thousand seven. Like um, one of the things I've been sharing with people or um, have been shared online is there's um, SmackDown versus Raw two thousand seven, and it's a picture of John Cena, and it you know it's so detailed. You're seeing the sweat glistening on his body and everything, mm-hmm. and then you look at the new game, and it's like. This is, you know, for new consoles, for new PCs and everything. This it's should look beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's past 10 years, you know. Yeah. And it looks like hot garbage. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's it is what it is, but at certain points, you know, you have to decide is this something I want to pick up every single year that I want to spend $60 every single year on. Like yeah. I think the last few years I decided, you know, if I'm going to get this game, I have to at least get it on sale, you know, usually. Uh-huh. But this is the first time where I'm like, I can't go back to Ground Zero with yeah. them and watch them build the game again at a $60 price it's tag, crazy. you know? That's crazy. Yeah, because it's always $60 regardless, right? But the problem, there isn't a lot of AAA wrestling games out there. Mm-hmm. There are, like, some in- great indie games out there, and I would say, you know, go try them out, um... Well, I know uh, uh, AEW is in talks at least, or they have something in development, um, video game wise. So they've been kind of teasing it, like in different interviews and everything. That's exciting. I feel like it's a little too early uh-huh. for them. <laughs> well, yeah, especially since they're kind of like getting mm-hmm. their talent roster together and everything. But yeah, um, they've been teasing that for a while. I know they they've got like a toy line and coming and everything. We won't get into that, but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, they, they, they definitely are, they've been laying the groundwork at least, you know, which I mean, makes sense Mm -hmm. you know, that they're going to want to go full on with it. So hopefully that's a, you know, a beacon of hope at least. Um, and at least I know that there's some serious gamers like Kenny on. (laughs) Absolutely. And if AEW, I mean, yeah, they actually listen to their fans Mm -hmm. and they're, they're younger and they understand like, you know, the gamer population. And I feel like they are going to do everything to cater to them, you know, especially because of like, you know, you know, wrestlers like Kenny Omega and everything. So, um, it it makes sense. We'll, We'll see though. You know, it depends on who they hook up with. Exactly. So yeah, that's a little like buy, don't buy kind of section of this of this week. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Figure I'd give you guys a little a little look is, into my schedule. Is fall like a big like release period? Yes, for... because you know you get the game out, you get um people to pretty much 
play and test it for holiday season. Okay. And then they can patch it. Okay. For <laughs> kind of work out like the glitches mm-hmm. and everything. That makes sense. All right, man. So that's going to do it for Christian's Corner. Yes. Uh, this week, we actually have a double feature review-wise for yes. everyone. First up, In the Tall Grass. And now, our feature presentation. Becky? Travis? Who are you? What's going on? I came looking for you. What? How did you get here before us? I don't know. My boy, he's lost in here, too. This is nuts. It's only a feel. I'm never going to find her. You can find things, but it's easier once they're dead. How long have we been here? I'm not sure. That sounded like me. This field doesn't make any sense. Name one thing in here that does. cry for help a sister and brother venture into a vast field of tall grass in kansas but soon discover there may be no way out and that something evil lurks within uh this is a stephen king story stephen king and joe hill actually his son so um and this was a netflix release yes uh so christian i did not see the film Life happened. Uh, <laughs> so Christian's going solo on this one. Uh, what were your thoughts on this movie? Um, you know, this was a very simple production. It was you know, not too hard to have a bunch of people running. Around a field? Yes. Is that literally what's going on? <laughs> Pretty much. All right. But I mean, there's there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot going on. Um, I'll do some light spoilers. I don't want to give away, you know, the ending or anything like that. Okay. But, you know, it's it's Patrick Wilson and his finest. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love Patrick Wilson. Exactly. That's I, a guy who doesn't get enough credit. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh. Um, it is a brother and sister that, you know, pull over on the road. Uh, the sister is pregnant. Um, and it seems that, you know, she might be trying to get rid of the child in some fashion. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, they just happen to go into the field uh, to find a boy that they hear screaming. And, you know, throughout the film, we get, you know, just like different perspectives, you know, how did these people end up in the field at the time? And it's a very small group. It's not like it's a big... Possible spoilers. Can I guess who the voice of the young boy is? Is it her unborn child? No. Damn it. (laughs) Nothing like that. Should have been. It would have been a better movie. (laughs) Sorry. I already know how it ends, Christian. I've got it all figured out. <laughs> what does this king guy know? <laughs> About storytelling. Exactly. Um, it is a very Stephen King story. Okay. Um, you can. That's a good thing. <laughs> right? Yes, he is a very good author. But you can definitely tell, like, it's 
It has maybe a little bit of alien vibes to it. I'll say. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm intrigued now. Because <laughs> uh, I wouldn't guess that from the trailer. Exactly. At all. You know, it starts off like, what's going on? What's, you know, affecting them? What's hurting them? Mm-hmm. Why are they here? What's trapping them in here? But um, I definitely like the, the way they handled uh, distance. And the sound is very good in this film. Okay. Where it's, you know, it's, I mean, you're hearing nothing but grass, but, you know, there's definitely, like, something moving the grass and, like, um, how they handle people um, from different spots. Like, one of the things they do to try to find each other is, like, simply just jump up and see where they are. You know, how far? Well, they jump up once. They're very close. They jump up again. He's miles away. Wow. Yeah. And and it really gets you that claustrophobic feel of, like, you know, I'm trapped in this field. Where where can I go? Stuff like that. And you know, any moment they look away or they go the wrong direction, they're going to be somewhere completely different. So is the majority of the film in the field? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. I would say 95%. Even though they show, like, in the trailer, like, oh, there's a church and everything else. It's, it's They might have been worried about people, like, you know, clicking to watch a movie where mm-hmm. people are just walking <laughs> around in a fucking field. No, but uh, it, has, I, it sounds cool to me, but uh-huh. I can see why people might be a little turned off by that. It has clear defined rules, which I think is interesting. Okay. Yeah, you know, rather than, you know, it's just like there, there there's mystery behind everything, but there is a very easy rule in there and I'm not going to I don't want to spoil that. Now, how <laughs> do you find out the rules though? Is there like a gatekeeper or someone to like kind of guide you? The little boy acts as a as a gatekeeper for the the beginning, I would okay. say. And then you kind of switch over to um, the boyfriend that has actually been, you know, trying to chase her down and find her. So he goes into the field way later. Oh, all right. At a different right. time. Uh, so you're being introduced to all these characters who just, like, kind of happen to... Yeah, they just kind of happen to run into each other into the field as well. All right. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like, oh, one person's yelling help in one timeline... Okay. And then someone's hearing it in a different timeline. That's kind of how, you know, people oh, are wow. coming. So it fucks around with time. Exactly. Too, the same mm-hmm. time. Oh, okay. All right. And this is by Vincenzo Natale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he worked on The Cube. He also did tons of TV. Um, a lot of uh, Hannibal um, was actually, I think he directed like, like seven episodes or something like that. So um, he's a pretty well-established director. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did you think of the job he did with the film? Um, you know, it's, it's very grounded. Mm-hmm. It's not too, like, they're never, like, nothing's too big, I would say. And, like, the film feels short, and it, it's not too long. It's, like, an hour and 30 minutes. Okay. Um, which is, I mean, it's standard. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've been just seen a lot of long <laughs> films lately. <laughs> I would say, I would say it never gets too crazy. Um, you know, the visuals are great. It's, it's very simple. It's, it's people at grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you get this element of like, he made a turn the wrong direction. And now the sun is in a completely, like he was following the sun for like, um, a couple miles and he looks one way and now the sun is completely somewhere else. Okay. You know, they, they do a lot of cool tricks with that. Okay. I would say that. So is it kind of like a mind fuck kind of movie where it's really like, Keeping you guessing the entire time. Yes, for the most part, I, I I'm keeping the the parts that make it, all the answers. And please do because I actually want to see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but like, is he able to convey that feeling well enough? 
you know, to like the viewers? Do you feel like, you know, because you mentioned like claustrophobic, mm-hmm. like it, it being very claustrophobic. I would definitely say it gives you that, you know, what would I do in this situation? Okay. Which show. is what you want in a movie mm-hmm. like this, I would assume. So, um, you know, I, I love films that make you feel like, you know, you're with the characters and you're kind of going through what they're going through. Mm-hmm. You're able to kind of like suspend, you know, disbelief for the moment that you're stuck in this giant field of fucking grass <laughs> walking around for years. So. And I, I think it honestly opens itself up for like, what if, what would other groups be like in this scenario? Like, um, you know, this has obviously happened to someone or some other people before mm-hmm. in some capacity. I'd like to know, like, I would be interested in a prequel or something like that for it. Oh, really? Maybe not for exactly what's in the center of the field, but everything else, you know, okay. I think would be interesting just to see how other people react. Because I, I would have been, I, I was kind of hoping for more characters, to be honest. Because okay. I think the cast is only about six people. Oh, interesting. So it's not that many. Because I actually thought there'd be more mm-hmm. too, just the way that you were kind of setting up the story. So, and I wish since they went in a direction with like people in different times and stuff like that, I kind of wish that they had played around with that a little bit more. Like there is a, a moment where one of them like calls themselves somehow on a cell phone. Okay. And like to like warn. Yeah, to themselves? warn them. Yeah. Interesting. I, I was kind of like maybe not too much of that. But maybe there was more elements similar to that, where it's like, oh, they left something in this place, and that's you know something that you could pick up on, or maybe more Easter eggs. And maybe I need to see it again to see more. It stuff sounds like, that, like the kind of movie where it has lots of layers, and exactly. stuff like that, and fun little Easter eggs where it's something that you don't necessarily notice in the first viewing, where like upon a second viewing, you know, you kind of catch on. Yeah. So. Um, you know, which is my kind of movie. I love a good mystery and everything. Is the mystery strong enough to keep you interested throughout the entire film? I would say it's strong to an end. Until the end, I would say. Okay, well, that's good. Hmm. That's good. Were you satisfied with, you know, when the mystery was finally, like, unveiled? Um. Yes, because, you know, there's still, like... How like how are they going to get out of this situation and stuff like that? So it doesn't necessarily end. It doesn't necessarily end. So do you feel like there will be a sequel? Um, it just depends. I mean, if this was like very popular, I would okay. say so. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't. I, the credit critics around don't make sound like they're too excited by it. Yeah. But you know, how are the performances? Um, you know, I wouldn't say anyone was like masterful. But there were definitely, like, I loved Patrick Wilson throughout this. I think he did a great job. He's great in everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> he's so solid. Um, yeah. He's the father of the boy that's in this. Okay. Okay. Um, but, but nothing really stands out to you as... Nothing too crazy. I mean, nothing's... No one did a bad job. I would say that. Okay. Nothing was like... Uh, like, even like um, Hereditary, I wasn't a huge fan of the son. You know? But mm-hmm. at, at the same time... <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I just no, make an ahead, example. Like okay, there was go. no, there was no performance that really was like bogged down the film or you know made me just disinterested in it. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So if I had to give it a grade, I'd probably give it a B. I would say. Okay, maybe well, a strong. maybe a B minus. 
right. I'll give it a B. Minus. I mean, it's on I'm Netflix. Trying to be fair. I mean, just, <laughs> it's on Netflix. I mean, it's an awesome world we live mm-hmm. in where we could just literally just you know turn on our TV and you know exactly. See I mean, a you got some. Film. You got some free time. You want to check it out? You know, Halloween's coming around. You want to binge something while you're at home? You know, you got kids coming for candy. Something to pause easy. Now put this on. <laughs> fair enough. All right, so uh, the next film we got is Little Monsters, which was on Hulu. Lieutenant, sir, why are we here? It's zombies again. Fast ones or slow ones, sir? Slow. Thank God they're slow. Next stop, Pleasant Valley. Super fun time on our trip. I want you all in the line in front of me, and away we go. Why are we stopping? There must be something in the way. What is it, Miss Caroline? five-year-old. I'm going to have to ask you to disembark the tractor train and wait for us back at the bus. A washed-up musician teams up with a teacher and a kids show personality to protect young children from a sudden outbreak of zombies. So a couple months back, we got a trailer for this movie. It looks super promising. Another, you know, uh, zombie slash comedy horror movie um we haven't had a great zombie movie in quite a while um lupita nwango's in it who's just fantastic i'm a huge fan uh josh gad um looked super interesting because it was something like it, it was a scenario we haven't really seen before in the past um you know it looks like they're at like some kind of like summer camp or something you know it's like a counselor teacher you know, basically fending off, you know, these zombies to protect, you know, her kids. Um, it, it seemed hilarious at the time. Um, I was really looking forward to this film because um, it looked like it could be another kind of classic mm-hmm. that we've got kind of along the lines of like, you know, Shaun of the Dead or something like that. Um, that being said, I felt like it definitely kind of missed the mark, you know, after, you know, watching this film. Um, I was... Definitely disappointed that it didn't get a theatrical release, um, which could be kind of telling at times. Um, but I 
for me, I think the big mistake it made was it really got bogged down with, you know, uh, one character in particular's backstory. And we'll do light spoilers for this. We won't go into, like, a full spoiler. Mm-hmm. Because I do want people to see it. Um, it, it was entertaining, um, but it, it my issue was, like, the movie just takes a long time to get going. You know, the first 20 minutes... Um, we hang out with the character Dave, who's this washed-up musician, kind of a loser, super selfish, and just super unlikable. Um, and the movie itself, you know, it just kind of stalls for the first 20 minutes. And you're like, you almost forget what kind of movie you're watching. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he gets introduced to his nephew's kindergarten teacher. He weasels his way onto this field trip just so he can hit on her. Then the movie starts, you know, to pick up, you know, and we're introduced to this like zombie outbreak that happens, you know, at the same time that they're on this field trip. And it becomes entertaining. Um, But for me, not enough to like salvage, you know, that first 20 minutes and maybe the film entirely. Like, it's a cute little movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not, it's not enough, you know, to make it worthwhile even um, to a certain extent. Just, I mean, like, Lupita, like, saves it, you know, just by, like, sheer will, I think. And Josh Gad, too, is also on this, and he's this, like, children's show host who happens to be there. Um, uh, the nephew is a huge fan, so there's that aspect, and they, they obviously, and it's you can see it in the trailer where you know he's not your he's not Mister Rogers, if no. you will. So, <laughs> um, and you know this movie's so much like you know on like how these characters are kind of reacting to this zombie outbreak that's happening, um, and he does not react well to it at all. You know, um, you know they kind of lean into the joke a little too much though you know for my like liking um you know but that being said he's probably one of the most entertaining aspects of the movie um i was expecting to get more badass moments from lupita because i mean really that's what the trailer was selling us on Mm -hmm. i felt like um there's this whole like aspect of them being kind of cornered and you know they do the typical like romero zombie thing where they're they've taken like shelter you know, in this, like, one, like, location. Um, But you never get that kind of claustrophobic feeling. You never feel like the characters are really ever in serious threat, especially the children. Um, Actually, the probably the most, like, intense moment of the film is, you know, when the nephew has, you know, spoilers, has this, like, allergic reaction to something that he eats. (laughs) Um, and you know, Lapita's like forced to like go and get his EpiPen and it's really like the performance is so well done by the child at this point. Um, you know, he's really selling it and you're really scared for him. But like, other than that moment, there's not much else that where you're really ever feeling like, you know, all these characters could go at any minute, you know, like we could lose one of these children. Um, you know, the zombies are just kind of in the background for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it was a cute little movie, but it was disappointing at the same time. And maybe that, you know, the, the, I feel like the trailer kind of sold us on a different type mm. of film than we really got. You know, this felt like a short film that they like shoehorned into a feature film, if that makes any sense. 
So, but I can't, once again, Lupita's fantastic. <laughs> she really is. But I wanted to spend more time with her and less time with David. Mm-hmm. I felt like his arc was totally unearned, you know, in this film. He goes from being this, like, completely unredeemable character in the first, like, 20 minutes of the film and then becomes, like, almost a different character, like, halfway through. And it's really, like, the whole, like, you know, allergic reaction that his nephew has is, like, he just, like, sees the light. That's too, like, Scrooge for me, where he becomes just a different person overall, you mm. know? Um, you know, he goes ahead and he even, like, you know, he helps out, like, this, you know, awful human being that Josh Gad is playing and is... I don't know. It just, it was so unearned where I was like, is this the same character? I mean, the form, the performance is good, but it's just the story, I think, you know, the script that lets it down, honestly, you know, for him. So, um, yeah, I, I was just expecting more, honestly. I really was. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot, like, for his arc in general, it should have been maybe a little bit more life lessons. If you're going to go this deep into, like, all the mistakes he was making in the beginning of the film and like how bad of a person he is. I mean, he's supposed to be, you know, kind of like a lovable jackass is what the, I feel like they were going for. Yeah. But, but he's just too much of a jackass. Yes. In general. Yes. And I think for me, what was a turnoff was like how he kind of treated his nephew, mm-hmm. you know, where like at first I could deal with like the relationship, you know, stuff. Everyone's been in a shitty relationship before, so that can be kind of relatable. But he's such a dumbass, you know? It felt like he was kind of playing, like, an Adam Sandler-type character, but he was missing, like, the charm. Mm-hmm. You know, if that makes any sense. Um, he just wasn't likable at all, where I didn't want to keep on, like, following this character. Yeah, uh, I just feel like they could have cut his part down a whole ten minutes or so. Maybe even, like, start off the film with... Because there's a lot of jokes that the uh, they make with the military and everything, saying, "Oh, it's another zombie outbreak and stuff mm-hmm. like that." Like maybe play around at the beginning of the film, like you know, it's like newsreels of like covered up, um, you know, zombie incidents and stuff like that. Now, just like even if it's like two minutes, it's just like you know so- something zombie related going on to get us into this film and then go into so you know what kind bad of movie you're exactly. in store for because yeah watching the from the beginning i was like did i click on the right thing yeah no i literally thought that at one point <laughs> i was like this doesn't feel like it was the right actors it was it was the right cast well, i didn't but... feel like he was really featured that much in the trailer no he wasn't too. and he's really the main character mm-hmm. of the film you know they sold this really on lupita <laughs> um i almost wish they would have given her like 10 minutes of the backstory or something like that set her character up because we don't get introduced to her, you know, for like until like the like what like the forty minute mark almost. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that was my problem with the film because I mean, she, you kind of get to know her with everything that's going on through the events of everything that's going on, but you still don't really know her until she kind of goes through you know her backstory and like a very like I don't know borderline contrived like you know um dialogue that she has no, it, this monologue she has with you know yeah it felt very like rom-com with zombies on the side for most of it for me yeah you know it was it, it was definitely like oh he's going to redeem himself and get the girl in the end and you never get the horror of the zombies mm-hmm. at all like it, like literally like there's the outbreak that happens on the military base 
the, we see the zombies like coming on to this. I don't even know what where they're at. It's like a, a resort or you know. It's like a petting zoo type of like place. Okay, so it's not like a camp. It's like a right? farm. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you see these like zombies approach, and then all of a sudden, like within like five minutes, the entire place has been infested, and everyone who was there, you know, before. The, you know, little, you know, the class went on this mm-hmm. little, like, they're on, like, a tractor ride or something like that. Um, what, like, within five minutes, they come back, and everyone who was there originally have now turned into zombies. So, um, and the kids are a little too naive for my mm-hmm. liking, where they <laughs> literally have no clue what's going on. Um, I, the children's performance are actually good though like especially the nephew like he Mm. he does a stellar job like he's probably one of the more likable characters in the whole film um but yeah no i no i i feel like they could have played around with that more like the kids are like figuring out what's going on but she has to continue to you know turn it into something else yes yes and And they kind of did that but like soothe that like mm. i don't know use it more of a story you know like, it, I use that as, like, an avenue almost for, like, Dave and, you know, Lupita's character to really start to bond. And they kind of touched upon that, but I didn't think they did enough with mm-hmm. that. Um, the kids, you know, really could have been another vehicle to portray the, you know, horrific scenario that they're in. And they kind of decided just to keep it light. Um, which is fine. It just, there wasn't enough of the other elements in the film to make it entertaining enough for me mm-hmm. personally. So, like I said, like, I, I just give us that, like, five minutes of the actual outbreak, you know, and the horror of the outbreak. Um, and then, you know, give us more Lapita. And I think, you know, this would have been a stronger film overall. No, absolutely. You know, and give, show me something that makes the, you know, Dave's character redeemable <laughs> in the beginning. You know, like his relationship mm. with the nephew or something, where he, he's just such a dumbass, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Um, it, I feel like that's what they were going for, but it just didn't play off right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And, like, I don't need every one of, like, my main characters in a film to be likable. But I also need them to be watchable. And I didn't feel like it would, you know... Like, he wasn't someone that I wanted to spend an no. hour and a half with. <laughs> Until they just made him into a different character overall, you know, mm. altogether. So, because it really did feel like he was a different character by the middle of the movie. And he, it was just unwarranted. Like, he didn't go through enough or earn that at that point. So, I don't know. So, I, I was I was disappointed with this film. Um, definitely. Well, if you had to give it a grade. I'm going to give it a C. Um, I'm going to give it a C minus. Yeah, I'm going to give it a C and it's going to be sh- just basically on the shoulders of the PETA, you mm. know, honestly. So. Who deserved a little bit more screen time with a little bit more violence? <laughs> they sold it really. Like, mm. I thought we we're going to solve this fucking, like, badass, like, kindergarten teacher trying to protect her kids from the zombie outbreak. That's what I was kind of sold, you know, in the trailer. Yeah. And we, we really didn't. We got more, like, kindergarten cop than anything you know with this film so just did not deliver what you know you expect no no yeah disappointing all right well we gotta move on to wrestling a mistake when chris jericho gets to baltimore he has to prepare to wrestle one match when cody gets to baltimore he's probably already had 
several meetings leading into the day, probably several meetings that day, while Chris Jericho was thinking about one thing, defending his title and stomping the legacy of the family roads and of Cody specifically. It makes it harder uh, when you're somebody's son because you're always compared. I think he's been able to get out from under it by just being himself. I think he is as focused on Chris Jericho as he is anything else he's done because that's just the type of person he is, type of athlete he is. Cody's already done so many things that are literally unprecedented in this business. But in the words of the American dream, there's only one thing real in this business, and that's that first world championship title. Until you get it, there's always something missing, no matter what you've accomplished. David hates wrestling. So we said last week that we're going to kind of stay away from WWE this month. You know, just with everything going on with the Saudi Arabia stuff last year, you know, and this year, we've chosen not to really cover mm -hmm. WWE, you know, on the podcast. Um, it is what it is. But of course, WWE finds a way <laughs> to force us to talk about what the hell's going on, you know, with their product. Um, we found out middle of this week that Eric Bischoff who was the uh, in charge of, you know, I forgot his actual title, like creative or something like that, or producer, ex executive producer. Okay. There it was. <laughs> executive producer of SmackDown mm. has been fired after, I think, like eight weeks, nine weeks, maybe. I think it was like 73 days or something like this. 73 cents? About two. Yeah. So it's he about has a t shirt. Weeks. Yeah. <laughs> He's, it's about, yeah, it's about eight weeks, nine mm. weeks then. So, um, yeah. Uh, and supposedly it's in response to the huge drop off of, of uh, Friday Night SmackDown's ratings. They literally lost about a million viewers. But, you know, backstage wise, it sounds like it's something that's been somehow a long time coming he never quite clicked in the role i mean people right off the bat were like what is this like the hire made no sense mm -hmm. and i think everyone said that like it, he's doesn't know the product he's been hasn't been really keeping the tabs on you know what's been going on in wwe he had no presence with the product so it seemed like a weird fit it didn't make any sense um, and people were kind of speculating is this kind of like a scapegoat move not just, you know, you know, after the firing took place, but when they hired him, people were speculating whether mm. or not, you know, are they going to use Bischoff as a scapegoat? And it seems like the answer is yes. Because <laughs> all accounts are, like, he wasn't even really running SmackDown. Um, it sounds like Bruce Pritchard was doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So um, it's fine, you know, it is what it is. Um like, why even bother putting him in, in the fucking role, though? I don't so, know. Man. I mean, we were told that maybe it was because he would be dealing directly with Fox. He'd be the go-to person. And then, like, all creative decisions would, of course, go through, like, Bruce and, you know, Vince. Mm -hmm. um, but that didn't even seem to be the case. It seemed like he was just kind of earning a check, and that was about it. Um, you know, um, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. People didn't want to work underneath him. Um, you know, and then he wasn't really present most of the time. 
So, um, and then maybe he walked in and he realized that this was all set up from the get, you know, get-go and he just decided to, like, tune out, whatever, you know. Um, it seems ridiculous, you know, to me, regardless of the situation. <laughs> um, you know, uh, from watching the draft, and I know we said we wouldn't cover it, it was a debacle. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely horrible. It's something that you had, you know, months to plan for and they somehow still found a way to just totally flub it and just look like you know they put it together the day before it really made no fucking sense what was going on they are supposed to be trying to like convey this more sports orientated product on you know fox and they made it a bad parody um, you know, just from like the announcers, the cheesy cutaways to like, you know, the executives making the picks and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, Vince had never actually watched a draft before, you know, or anyone for that matter on the creative team. So, and like even the, um, Fox personalities that they had coming on, you know, it was all done like tongue in cheek, you know, it was not taking it seriously and they didn't even bother making like the draft picks themselves entertaining. So, um, you know, I mean, well, good riddance to Bischoff, yeah. but at the same time, I don't feel like this is squarely on his shoulders no. at all. I, I just, so. I wasn't under the impression that he was doing anything there. No, no. And I, once again, it feels like they just needed a head to roll and, you know, he was, you know, one that would make the most impact, you know, and be the showiest for, you know, Fox, Fox executives. So, um... I don't know, man. I, 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 I'm, I'm glad that we're not covering WWE this month, <laughs> honestly. So, because it's just been a joke. Mm-hmm. Right away, you can tell, like, this draft isn't going to really matter. Um, I think Bray Wyatt was actually drafted to SmackDown, but he has multiple matches with Seth this month, who's on Raw. So, I mean, I feel like within two, you know, months, you're going to get another wild card situation where no one's going to even know who's on what brand, you know. All it's going to take is more bad ratings for them to try to just, you know, do whatever they can to kind of, you mm-hmm. know, push a decent number. Um, so and so be it if that means Becky Lynch is also on SmackDown, they're going to do whatever they can. So I just never understood the logic of ratings were horrible in the beginning of, you know, the summer, late spring, and like... We're going to do away with the draft. Yeah. And then, you know, they want to continue to have good ratings or even spike a number. So we're going to have another draft. Like, what? There's no logic to that. No. It's like, we're going to go back to what wasn't working. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, and that was like the fact that it was a draft show and it was the second episode. That should have been a bigger number. And the fact that they lost a million viewers is really telling. Like, what are they going to do this week? I honestly don't know. I don't know how much, like, what, but what would it take for them to actually start pushing in the right direction anyway? Like, does viewership matter all that much to them at this point? Well, it matters to Fox. It does. That's true. So, and I mean, Fox could just cancel them. Um, all reports are that's not going to happen. Mm. That's well, they've invested a, so much. It's going to take a lot. But at the same time, there's going to be executives who are going to want to save face. Mm-hmm. So and if that means like painting, you know, WWE is a failed venture and, you know, you know, Vince can't get his shit together. Um, you know, 
so be it. And I, mean, I feel like that is the case. That really is the truth of the situation. You have someone who's so out of touch at this point. I don't, I can't see him being able to, you know, pull the nose straight in this like, you know, horrible nosedive, you know, situation that, you know, he's in right now. Yeah, I just, I can't imagine what's going to happen when XFL starts up. And he's still probably going to walk into these shows after a script has been written, decide, I don't like this. And he's a madman because he's mm-hmm. going to try to do everything. He's going to try to wear all the hats, you know, because that's how he's always been wired. But it sounds like XFL is even having a difficult time. They're like right up on the deadline for them to actually launch when they're supposed to. So we'll see if, you know, there's big delays on that. It just, WWE, the brand and everything related just feels so unorganized right now and it feels so chaotic you know we're back storyline wise where we were like late spring Mm -hmm. where like nothing is cohesive you know characters are like you know flipping on a dime from like face to heel you know um storylines are getting dropped plots are getting dropped you know in the middle of episodes sometimes um it just it's just bad tv and right now, there's so many alternatives mm. where I feel like, you know, it's a good time to, like, you know, go ahead and venture elsewhere. So, and that's what we've been doing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for AEW, right? Yes. Um, you know, this week's show, I felt like it was another, another great presentation. Um, it, it, it really gave us an alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a breath of fresh air. It really was. Mm-hmm. Commentary was great. The matches were great. The atmosphere has been great. The pacing. Exactly. The show in general has been great. I could still do with a few more promos here mm-hmm. and there. I don't want tons. Just kind of introduce some of these characters. Let us get to know them a little more. But, I mean, that's really one of my only critiques. Um, I love the little video packages they're doing. You know, uh, they did one for Cody, mm-hmm. setting up his match with Jericho. I felt it really let us get to know him and his drive. I want to see more packages like that, not just once an episode. I'd like to see at least a couple an episode for these other characters. Um, I watched Dark this week, AEW Dark. That was fantastic. Um, well, it's the fact that they're putting on pay-per-view quality matches absolutely. as dark matches. Yes, if you haven't checked it out, um, Kenny Omega and Joey Janelle, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Definitely a pay-per-view quality match. I mean, they it was a lights-out match, so they just left everything you know in that ring, honestly. So um, definitely don't sleep on that. Um so it really was a great companion show, and mm-hmm. I hope that they keep that up. Um, you know, a lot of times I think WWE would always do this where they'd start another show, and at first it would really you know hit the ground running, and then by like you know the middle of the year it would become just a glorified recap show. That doesn't seem to be the case right now, and mm-hmm. it's a great way to utilize the rest of your ro- roster, honestly, because they're they're smart about it. They're they're not shoving anyone down your throat right now. You know, they're going to feature people here and there, but they're going to give them breathers too, it seems like. And like, you know, you know, feature another set of wrestlers, you know, you know, the next week and, you know, really let them, you know, air out their characters so we can get to know them. Um, it was a great opening match for them. I love what they're doing with the tag team tournament. 
Um, it kept you guessing. Um, they're doing great storytelling too at the same time where it feels like they're trying to make superstars. Mm -hmm. They really did that for Scorpio Sky this week. Um, you know, I feel like they're setting him up for a strong like singles run here. I couldn't um, believe that he was wrestling with like one shoe on. I was like, I'd be falling on my ass, sliding all over the place. Yeah, and but it worked so mm. well, and that crowd was just fucking on ten for them the entire show. But um, it it really I loved how like they started the show with like the Lucha Brothers attacking, you know, um, SoCal, and it it really left like it really gave off this like heightened vibe to everything that was going on um where it wasn't just a typical match and mm -hmm. everything so i really enjoyed the women's match um real Britt Brit baker i i always get tongue twisted with her name <laughs> so uh put on a really strong showing um it was a slow start it was a little clunky at the beginning but then once again like midway through they had the entire fucking crowd on their feet um a really like strongly booked match so um i do wish they would feature more women on the show mm -hmm. uh, i feel like we're getting a probably it seems like one women's match per show right now I mean, there's only been three episodes so um i feel like if you want to build the rest of your roster you really do need to have a couple more matches in it here and there mm -hmm. um but you know I, they'll get there they'll get there so I'm, I, they're still trying to figure this thing out but they're doing a damn good job so far um jericho was strong we had a good main event um he really put over darby even in you know a loss um you know the crowd was really into him and i mean that's a character they don't even know and you know it seemed like you know everyone was on board with him by the end of the match so um you know and it really gave him a chance to shine um, and Jericho's doing a great job playing like this monster heel mm -hmm. character um, that I feel like, you know, he's going to be like a, a great like video game boss where it's going to be a huge deal when someone does defeat him yes. finally. So I think he was the perfect choice to put the title on, you know, to start, you know, you know, your new federation off. Do you think at full gear he would lose the title or do you think he... he... I don't think so. I think he's going to hold it for a while. Mm -hmm. I hope so at least. I hope he holds it for at least like six months to start off, you know, the show and everything. So when he does lose it to someone, it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, my guess, I would guess that Cody ends up losing. I could even see like MJF or something like that costing him the match and they kind of go into a feud or something. They teased it. Mm. Um, I wish they would stop teasing it so over the top, you know, because I feel like that could be a big deal. Um, you know, just don't be so on the nose, but I love everything I'm seeing right now. You know, it's such a different feel, you know, comparatively speaking to the WWE. Yes. So. I mean, even comparing it to what they're going up against on Wednesday nights, NXT had a great show, but it, it has such a different feeling when you're watching that show that, you know, AEW feels so big, feels like you're, you're watching a Monday Night Raw or something like that, mm -hmm. almost to that caliber. Whereas NXT, you know, it is grounded, it is smaller. They are putting on great matches, you know, um, but it still feels like that, you know, that almost that, I don't want to say developmental, because a lot of them aren't, you know, but that's what developmental stars, say, but they, honestly, it, it feels, still has that, like... Feels, it feels minor league. Mm -hmm. um, it feels lesser than, which is unfortunate. Um, I like the underground feel that it has, 
but it's going to be hard because we've been told for you know five years now that it is the developmental territory for WWE. So it's going to be hard for them to kind of mm-hmm. shake that stigma. Um, you know, it's a product that I've enjoyed more than the main roster a lot of the times. So, um, you know, I like the smaller vibe, but like it, comparatively speaking, optics wise, it definitely feels like the smaller show compared to AEW. Yes. I did like the fact that this week it felt like they weren't really booking to their competition, though. They decided we're just going to focus on our own thing. And it felt like more of a traditional NXT show that we've gotten in the past. But that's what we love and that's what we like, you know, and that's what's worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I hope they do more of that where they just kind of like tell your own stories, do what you do best. Don't worry about what AEW is doing. Don't worry about quarter hours and shit like that. Mm-hmm. You know, just do you. Um, so hopefully we get more of that. But I feel like it's only a matter of time before Vince starts to meddle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which is At least the TV show is going to go on the road. It's got Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I, th- I just think, once again, optics-wise, he's going to tune in and it's like, you know, if you just, you know, flip back and forth between AEW and NXT, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. You know, and just like that smaller crowd and everything. I mean, so much with what... AEW is doing right now is the crowd reaction that they're getting that crowd from start to finish they're just on their feet and they're eating up everything you know right now um, which is great and it really adds a lot it enhances the show um, but everything's earned too at the same time mm-hmm. the Kenny Omega um, Hangman Page uh, Pac, not Pac I'm sorry Pack and um a Moxley. Moxley uh, tag match was fantastic. Yes. So it really was. Uh, how do you feel about the structure with the heels and faces on AEW? Because it seems like they at times they do have a bit of like anyone can do anything. Like best friends this week. Uh, they start off the match very heel. But by like halfway through, I mean, they were, they were playing their usual face type characters. So you felt like. Okay, so I didn't really get the vibe that best friends were playing off as heels. I mean, they were trying to capitalize on a situation, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't feel like they were straight up heels. I know Chuck can sometimes, you know, have that edge to his character, um, but are you more? Are you are you talking more like with like Moxley and stuff? Like, well, yeah, Moxley as well. Like he was on the heel team, let's say this episode, mm-hmm. and you know he he. I mean, he's still getting cheered out the door. Because uh, he's a hero and everything, but... I think he's more of, like, the rogue, you know, yeah. kind of character. Where he's I mean, they stated tweener. before they started the show, in general. Like, we don't... You, you just cheer for who you want. Yeah. That was, like, their, their main And goal. I think the mistake is, like, WWE, like, tries to dictate to their audience mm-hmm. who you're supposed to cheer for. And that just makes them want to boo them or, you know, do the opposite of whatever they're trying to get. You know, whatever kind of reaction they're getting. So, I mean, it causes just a lot of, like, disgruntled, you know, fan Mm -hmm. participation a lot of times. Um, Or just people just not being invested in the characters. So, I think it's smart to have the characters kind of develop organically. um, And let the audience dictate, you know, who the heel is and who the baby face is. I'm okay with that. Mm. I feel like storyline-wise, I mean, there's definitely heels and faces, but 
you know, at the same time, I feel like the like the crowd will pop for Jericho, but at the same time, they'll boo the shit out of him. Yeah. You know, they respect him enough and they know they want to play along with the storyline where they're, they want to be invested and they want to boo too, like his actions. Um, but yeah, no, I see what you're saying. You know, there's definitely more of a like late 90s atmosphere when it comes to the way they're booking, you know, their storylines mm. and their characters at this point. So there's definitely more in-betweeners, which I'm fine with. Because even Pac, when he came out, got like a big pop at first. Um, I so. love that he was trying to protect his uh, win-loss record at, by the end of that match. Yes, <laughs> yes. That's great, though. That's another element they're mm. adding like to you know their storylines is having that something that's in the forefront it makes perfect sense, you know? I like that we are reminded of where we're at in the match, you know, with the time limits. I think that's another thing where all of a sudden you're going to see the pace pick up when you hear there's only five minutes left. Um, It's just another element that adds to the drama Mm -hmm. of things. So I've liked the presentation so far. Like I said, I just want a little more promo work, introduce your characters a little more, establish who these people are. Um, and a, a few more women's matches. And I'm good, man. You know, super entertaining show so far. Well, um, speaking of women's matches, uh, Stardom has been picked up by what seems like New Japan's parent, uh, company? parent company. Yeah, Yes, and a lot of people are kind of jumping to the conclusion that they'll eventually be teamed up with New Japan and maybe become their women's division. Mm. Doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. It sounds like they're getting actually teamed up with, like, I guess uh, whatever their parent company is, I can't think of the name um, off cuff, but I guess they have like some kind of like kickboxing like league or something like that. So they're going to be more paired up with them for some reason. Feels off weird, right? Um, I feel like it's probably going to be only a matter of time where we start kind of seeing some kind of crossover Mm. happening. I don't know like how far they're they'll go with it, but. I mean, it makes sense. I know there's probably purists out there that don't want to see that, but I mean, I don't know, man. It's twenty. It's twenty nineteen. Do you think this is a direct move because of WWE trying to get into the Japanese market? Well, there was rumors that WWE was interested in Stardom, mm-hmm. um, and I know they attempted to buy actually Noah because um, they're trying to start the uh, WWE like NXT kind of franchise out there. Also, I just feel like that's. I know that's a lot. That's a lot. They're biting mm. off a lot. I feel like it's more than they can really chew right now. I don't want them to spread themselves too thin. And Japanese fans are very loyal. Yes. There are WWE, plenty of WWE fans out there, but um, I don't know if they're going to, how they're going to feel about like you know a NXT type product mm-hmm. um, that isn't like main roster. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine like. Having DDT Pro people being forced to the like, cause if if they do it the same way that they handled um, UK, which is they start off with like an open contract where you're able to work, you know, where you want, and then they closed it off. Mm-hmm. I don't know I can't imagine that going. Once they over. got their own yeah mm-hmm. show and they started doing takeovers and stuff, yeah, they tightened up those contracts. So, um, yeah, I don't know where they're going to go. And then I feel like they're just going to cherry pick them for their main NXT show. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what they're doing with like NXT UK right now, where you got like Walter over there um, and Ray Ripley. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know, man. 
I don't I, I don't want it to just be like a feeder system and that's what it feels like it's gonna be um, and it feels like they're just trying to counter program New Japan which is just a big mistake yeah. so um, but fuck WWE <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so otherwise, wrestling wise, that's it, man. Yeah, it feels very liberating not having to like take a deep dive into those shows right yes. now. <laughs> you know, hopefully by like November when you know we've you know gotten over, we've had our little son. What are mm. they even? They're calling Halloween Havoc. What are they calling it? Um, just another. It's Crown Jewel, it's crown but jewel. it's like Survivor oh, is it, Series. Is that their big one? Right, because mm. the other one was it called Crown Jewel, right? No, it was. They had another name. Okay, so it's just like their annual Crown Jewel mm. event. Yeah. So once we're over that, hopefully things have kind of settled down, and you know we're back to where we were before all this fucking chaos. You know, because they did feel like they're turning things around, and then like Hell in the Cell happened, and just <laughs> shit hit the fan. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be weird because when they go back after Saudi. It's the build-up to Survivor Series, which is usually a, like, um, team versus team, like, show versus show type uh, pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So it's like, again, you know, you, you kind of mix up. Your, your Instead of having your, like, your storylines built with your characters on each show, mm-hmm. you're supposed to be going up against each other yes. and mixing so it up. There's going to be lots of intermingling again. And, like, the, <laughs> the brand split is going to feel like it doesn't really fucking matter. Yeah. They've just been misfiring on all these decisions that they're making lately. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what it's going to take to right the ship. But right now it feels like a huge task. Yes. <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for this week. As always, check out dramacityproductions.com. That's where our podcast is and plenty of other great podcasts. Definitely check us out there. Otherwise, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. We are on every single one possible that we can find. That's right. And while you're there, make sure you go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review as always. If you want to support the show, you can find our merch on ProWrestlingTees.com. You can also find it on TeePublic. If you want to follow the show, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on all the social media. Yes, we're your nerd hub for all the latest happenings in nerdum. Exactly. And if you're liking the music that you're hearing right now, that's DJ Greg Brebner. Yeah, go ahead and follow him on Instagram. He's got tons of music for you up on SoundCloud right now. Free to download. All right, so make sure to check us out next week. Our Top Horror Icon Countdown continues. Um, We're actually going to go ahead and review Zombieland Double Tap and Three from Hell. All right, my name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that's The Amazing Nerd Show. Unclean spirit! Show it up your ass! In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ! It is he who commands you! He who flung you! Prince of heaven! To the depths of hell! Fuck him! Be gone! Fuck him, Garrus! From this creature of God!